What is up, podcast listeners? This episode of the podcast of the Matt Baxter Show with Matt Baxter. More importantly, I'm hanging out with Rob Mack. Rob Mack is basically like the happiest human being I've ever met. And he is a happiness coach. And he shares a story on this podcast about how he was as close to mid-suicide in the, in the middle of this process, this very ugly, ugly stage in his life that is just, I, I, I'm I'm... On one hand, saddened that he went through this experience. On the other hand, so honored that he was comfortable enough to share the pain that he had gone through and how he emerged from that to basically become a happiness coach. That he, he, He's talking to some of the most prominent people all around the world and helping them bring more joy, more value, more happiness to their lives. And I am just – he's – impossible not to hang out with and just feel better. You just, you, he has a sense of energy that's so very difficult to ever replicate. He has the sense of joy. He has the sense of passion. He has the sense of making you feel like you're not only the only person in the room, but you're the most important person in the room. And then you feel called to go bring that to other people. So I just was so fired up to do this episode. Of course, Nilly Rafai, as always, thank you, ma'am, for the intro. Um, and this is just so, 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 so good. Rob, Thank you, sir. Well, uh, I hope that you continue to bring the joy, the energy, and just the life that you bring um, to others that you did on this podcast with me. Thank you. Ton- thank you a ton, sir. Rob, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. This is fun stuff. Of course, as always, I got to give a little love to Nilly Rafai, who has just made so many intros for me, and I just can't be... Uh, thankful enough for her and she introduced us and she said you are just an absolute rock star and I'm excited to hear about that but I gotta gotta show a little love to Nilly. oh my gosh love her met her she was a story producer on the set of famously single a show that I did on E and she was like just the sweet she is the sweetest most generous loving and smartest I mean person I one of the smartest people I know so so grateful for her her mental horsepower is like absurd. It like hurts I mean. how smart she is. It's like, it's like, I don't know why you're friends with me. I don't know why you keep introducing me to smart people. And also like, you're so smart. It just hurts. <laughs> she really is. It's unbelievable and uh, mind blowing, literally. And also it comes from the family too, because I don't know if I'll, I'll send you a link, but I did a podcast with her brother, uh, Dr. Rafai, and he's like cut from the same cloth brilliant awesome just fantastic human being so there's something going on in that family that's just remarkable i don't know what it is but it's good stuff <laughs> i'm sure you sure would have an explanation too if you go beyond the blood and the dna <laughs> oh of course it's this generation interacted with this generation they did this thing right 10 decades back and everything it's good all right so rob give me give me the story man i want to hear i want to hear the life story i know you got a lot of good stuff back there yeah so Long story short, you know, I mean, I work really as a happiness coach now, but I came to become a happiness coach the really hard and long and scenic uh, route and way. I was I grew up in a beautiful family, I mean, a really loving family. Yeah, we had our stresses like most families, uh, but I was lucky. I was healthy. I did pretty well athletically. I did pretty well academically. But man, I was as miserable and as depressed as you could possibly be. I was as self-loathing as you can imagine. And uh, it started off. Honestly, uh, the, like the first memory I have is being unhappy, you know, probably at four or five years old, six years old. I always thought I'd grow out of it. That never happened, uh, at least not right away. And, um, you know, despite sort of doing better and better in the classroom and on the sports fields or sports arenas, I just continued to feel more and more depressed and anxious and uh, experienced a lot of self-hate. And I eventually got to a place where I began to do some research 
um, around sort of uh, suicide and uh, the means and methods to kill yourself. And I'd put it off for a while. And then I eventually got to a place where I just didn't see a way out, you know, in addition to everything that I was just feeling sort of, um, you know, like stress wise, anxiety wise, and, uh, you know, around a lack of self-compassion and all that good stuff. I was also um, just experiencing this existential angst, like this idea we're all just thrown on the planet and we don't really have a guidebook or a rule book, you know, for what our life is supposed to be about or how we're supposed to make decisions. And I was trying to do as many things as I could by the, you know, quote unquote book that we all are, I guess, maybe inherited, but it wasn't really working. It wasn't making me happier. And so I eventually did a little research, decided I was going to slash my wrist, went to the kitchen, got a kitchen knife and uh, stuck it into my wrist. You know, at that moment, I wasn't a hundred percent committed to like following all the way through because I wanted to see how painful it was going to be. Uh, but I was committed as you can be, um, you know, at that point, particular point in time. And uh, something a little strange happened, man. Like as I was digging the knife into my wrist, I just experienced this inexplicable peace and quiet and happiness, even really bliss uh, that I couldn't ex- sort of describe or explain. And so in that moment, I decided to postpone the happiness, uh, the, the, the suicide thing for at least, it was just an hour at that point, man. It wasn't a very long time. I didn't commit, even that was a tall order. It felt very ambitious to say a whole hour. But I, but I said, I should look into this. I should see what happened here. Why do I feel, you know, this love, unconditional love, kind of an impersonal, but unconditional love. And why do I feel this enhanced, like subjective well-being, despite the external circumstances and conditions of my life not having changed. So I started doing some research and that hour bled into several hours and it bled into several days and weeks. And now a couple decades later, I look back and I think, wow, it's pretty incredible that I was that sort of bad off, you know, so, so sort of subjectively um, and despite objectively things being so well, you know, going so well. Um, but, you know, I look back and I can barely recognize that guy, you know, it's so fascinating to me. Uh, but a lot of things happen between now, sort of that you know that moment and now. So uh, obviously, the, I mean, first off, thanks for <laughs> sharing that. Um, I, what you do now, I'm sure you you've told that story, but I'm sh- just listen to that. It's probably not always that easy to share that, and so thank thank you. Um, I guess, and obviously, I'm going to ask a few questions and whatever you're you're comfortable sharing, uh, feel free, and whatever you're not, let me know. But you know. Leading up to that, was there one particular emotion, one particular pain circumstance that like, was it you weren't enough? You didn't have any hope? You, something happened that you regret? I mean, what was like the... Great question, man. Really fantastic. I mean, it was, uh, I would say it was a number of things. There were a couple like real low lights, I suppose. You know, in the beginning, it was just mostly that I uh, sort of was embodying and taking on a lot of the stress and anxiety in my environment, right? So whether it was at home, at school, but just in my environment, I was an empath, you know, I didn't know that, but I was taking on a lot of the stress and anxiety and emotion of those folks around me. So it was that piece. And then there was this sense of like, not being able to do anything right and not able to be as perfect as I wanted to be. So there's a a perfectionism piece to it theme you know and then on top of that and that that kind of like included everything right the way i looked i definitely felt like it was the ugliest person on the planet 
I definitely felt like I had no personality. I didn't really, I wasn't comfortable at all talking to anybody, boys, girls, adults, children, you know, um, it felt like I never could perform quite the way I wanted to athletically. I pr got pretty much straight A's all the way through, but in the case that maybe I didn't, or I get an A minus or something, I would just really have a complete breakdown. And then it was looking at life sort of from a more gestalt or broader perspective and noticing that no matter what it is we achieve or accomplish or acquire, and no matter who it is that we attract into our lives or who we get to spend time with, that all of it will be stripped away one day by death. You know, that, that just bothered me to no end. That really put an explanation mark on everything I was feeling. And then, you know, the one hope I had had was that, oh, I'll be a professional basketball player. Like that was the thing I would used to watch, you know, Michael Jordan and uh, all the greats. And I'd watch, I'd watch every Chicago Bulls game like that was aired nationally and I would record it and I'd replay it a thousand times trying to, you know, learn all his moves and trying to get good. And, you know, that didn't pan out for me. I got pneumonia my senior year. So all these things began to add up, you know, and, um, but by and large, I had lost hope in the world, quite frankly. I had lost hope in life itself because it was like, no matter how good things get anyway, it's still one day all going to be stripped away and ripped away from me by this thing called death. You know, so that sent me down a path where I started researching, you know, what all of the religious and spiritual traditions had to say about death and the afterlife. And, you know, um, for the most part, I wasn't all that excited about that either, but it certainly felt like a better option than continuing to exist in this very miserable state on the earth. Yeah, there's uh, obviously a lot to unpack there and dive into that. No, I, I appreciate that. The the other sort of, and this is probably a really ugly question to ask, but was there any part of you that like wanted, did you want people to know how much pain you were in? I would share it in moments, but I felt pretty strongly that no one could understand because I would drop these seeds. And often I think folks that are struggling you know, they send out signs and sometimes those signs are obvious and sometimes they're not so obvious, but I would sometimes start a conversation. Like I wasn't a big talker, but occasionally someone would say, or ask me how I was. And I'd say, ah, oh, you know, I'm fine, whatever, you know? And, uh, that was like me just kind of dipping my foot into like, you know, hopefully this conversation that might be broached around, like, you know, what other people were feeling and, you know, why I was feeling the way I was. And, um, you know, occasionally sometimes people would like, quote unquote, bite. And then they, but, but for the most part, people would say, oh, you just, you know, you just change your mind, man. You got to look at life in a different way. You can't be so negative, you know? And yeah, uh, talk about like the most unhelpful yeah. thing of all time. Just look at things differently. <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh yeah. man, trust get, me. I, I don't get right on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Exactly. Exactly. And, 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 you know, I can appreciate that now, but at the time I, um, you know, I just didn't, I didn't know what to do. So no, I, I didn't really, um, you know, I wasn't big on advertising it. I wasn't big on even trying too hard to have the conversation. I tried a couple of times with different people and, uh, you know, I just felt like nobody could really understand. And, uh, to this day, I think there are lots of people that probably can and do, um, but it can be a difficult conversation to have for folks who are actually going through it. So true. And that's why, that's why I want to phrase this is I'm coming at you with some pretty difficult questions and you're being obviously super open to it. So thank you for that. Oh, uh, I, I appreciate the questions, brother. You have no idea. I waited my whole life to have conversations like this. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good word. And, and they're actually like, I've had, you know, for, for one, I certainly have had my fair share of like high and low moments, both, you know, circumstantial and, you know, more deep rooted stuff to like 
uh, uproot and figure out where that came from. But also I've had some sort of uh, knocking at some ugly doorstep conversations with, with friends who have been in the midst of that and just experiencing that and not like obviously being tender and caring and loving and walking alongside, but sometimes you have to like rip the bandaid off literally and ask really difficult, tough questions. But I think amazing, beautiful, fantastic conversations comes out of that when you, when you have those. And so I don't know, I've always taken the pretty blunt approach to that, which probably is good and bad, but. Well, I love that. Right. So, so, and look, um, you know, there are crucial and difficult and, and important conversations to have in this life. And you can waste your whole life or spend your whole life postponing and putting those conversations off. Right. And so there's something about diving in and having the crucial, crucial or difficult or important conversation. Um, you know, even before you feel perfectly prepared for it. Um, you know, I, I now, don't know about you, but I've lost all kinds of people in my life. I lost a college roommate to suicide uh, just a year or so ago. And, you know, we had had that kind of conversation in the past, but it's important to have those conversations and it's not always comfortable, um, but you can have those conversations in ways that lead to increasingly comfortable experiences and increasingly positive relationship with each other. So, you know, I, I definitely have had to work on that myself because it can be daunting to have these very difficult conversations with people. So I'm inspired by people like you, Matt, that are able to dive in and just go ahead and have it, you know? <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but thank you. Thank you. That's, that <laughs> means a lot. So, you know, transitioning into so, like how you've taken that experience that you personally went through to now what you do today, give a little background on that. And obviously we're going to dive into some questions related to that, but I'd love to love for you to share your world, what your focus is on today. I mean, obviously this just, it, it, yeah, I, yeah, I just want to hear, I, I, just, just dive in. I'd love, I'd love to hear it. So, you know, in the heels of this like suicidal experience, you know, I was uh, working a job, consulting firm, great firm, great people, hated the work. <laughs> and I wanted to always have sort of more of a personal uh, conversation with people and personal impact uh, with some of the folks I was working with. So at this point in time, I, as I began doing some research, I didn't sort of know where to look right away, but I started discovering or at least discovering a few insights that I thought were valuable. And the first insight was really like, you know, if everything in your life is leading you to experience more depression and less happiness, then maybe you should just start doing completely different things than you're doing today. You know, I remember a Seinfeld episode like that was like, it was opposite day. Like just since everything in your life has led you to feeling like a failure and feeling like you're not very fulfilled, why not try the opposite approach? And so I essentially began down this path of like saying, well, I don't love the job. How can I transition out of that? You know, I was going to, um, you know, business school and stuff. And I thought, well, I'm not necessarily loving that, but that's not as much of a problem. I don't like the cold weather. I was living in Philadelphia. So I thought I'll move to Miami, sun, beach. And, uh, you know, I started really making shifts in the objective circumstances and conditions of my life. Okay. And one of those changes that I made also was to begin pursuing things simply for the joy of them alone, even if they didn't lead to the success that I was ultimately after since Joy was the reason I wanted to be successful. Since happiness was, was the reason that I wanted to get good results in the world, I thought, why don't I just prioritize that first and foremost and see what happens? And so I matriculated into this program at the University of Pennsylvania. Eventually, it's a Master's of Applied Positive Psychology program. It's really the science and study of what makes life worth living. You know, it's empirical, it's time-tested, face-valid. So we're talking Ivy League's research. And 
that was a great way to sort of supplement all of the additional, like, you know, educational stuff that I was, you know, pursuing on my own. Right. And so at that time I started, you know, I was tracking this whole time as well, the things that were helping me to live a happier life. Okay. I was like, and the things that didn't work, I just forgot about them. Things that did, I continued to track. So I had this little journal and then over time, you know, I started sharing these conversations or having conversations with people and they would notice a shift in me. They'd say, well, Bob, you seem a little different. You seem more peaceful. You seem a little more social, but in an authentic way, you seem happier. Like, what are you doing? And I'd find myself in these conversations and then they'd say, I see, oh, so writing down stuff. What are you writing down? And I'd tell them about this journal. Well, lo and behold, that journal eventually became Happiness from the Inside Out, which was the first book I wrote. And at the time I was doing some entertainment related stuff. So I was a model for 10 years and I was doing acting stuff and I was meeting people along the way. And so some of those people, really incredible people, um, began just referring me out, referring my services out and saying, hey, this guy has really been living this happiness thing and he's been through some tough stuff. And, you know, I think he's got some insightful and helpful things to share based on his experience, but also based on science. So, you know, lo and behold, I opened my own private practice and I started a coaching business, which I've now had for over, I guess, two decades. And, you know, I've learned a lot along the way. And most of that, of what I've learned is that we tend to overcomplicate even the simplest of things, right? So a lot of my work now is really helping people in very simple and in very practical ways apply the latest and greatest scientific research around happiness and success to their lives so they can be increasingly and effortlessly successful through happiness, right? So instead of routing your happiness through success, we route success through happiness. And we find that you can get better results with less time, energy, and effort. So ideal client on that. Well, okay. Let me, let me first back up. When you start working with a client, is there like, <laughs> this is such a dumb question, but is there like a zero to 10 happiness scale as a baseline? Like I know, I know it's, it's way deeper than that, but like overall, do you sort of gauge where somebody truly is at or sort of, and again, not diving into any of the secret sauce, but like, how do you begin like happiness work with somebody? Great question. Yes, actually. Um, so sometimes I just quite, you know, point blank, ask that question. Zero to 10, how happy are you with your personal life? Zero to 10, how happy are you with your professional life or your relationships? And so that's often a great have you Have you learned the people who can who are telling the truth versus like faking it? Yeah, it's actually funny that you say that, Matt. And I got a feeling that you're probably pretty good at that yourself, my friend. Um, I had this habit now when I pick up the phone or Zoom, call someone or whatever, I can ask them how they are. And before they answer... I can feel in my gut exactly where they are. Like, and so sometimes, and then the first, when I first started discovering this was something I was doing, I would accidentally call them out on it right away, like not in a rude way, but I'd say, well, <laughs> how are you really doing? You know, and I've been careful about that because I never want to push anybody into a place where they're forced or feeling like they're forced to share before they're ready. Um, but yes, no question about it. It's kind of profound, and we all do this, and we can all do it more deeply and more consistently. But without question, most of my work is asking people questions that are, you know, hopefully good questions, but I'm not really listening to the words as much as I'm listening to the energy and everything else underneath, behind, beyond the words. That's really where my work is. It's asking questions that let me feel 
what they're feeling and hear what they're really saying underneath and between the words. You know, that's the real work. Um, so yeah, you nailed it. I just know in my own life, I have the, uh, I have the, here's what I've already worked through answer. And so I can come across as vulnerable and being transparent, but I'm not actually being, it just sounds like I am versus like what truly is transparent, what I'm working with currently. And I got to imagine some of your clientele probably is the same psychopath that I am. <laughs> we, all, me, we all have a little yeah. Exactly. Like, let me give you the, uh, let me give you the addition that sounds good. That sounds like I'm being deep and not the true one that I really need to be talking through or whatever that may be. So it, I, I get that. Beautiful question, Matt. And that, you know, tested, you know, you being, having done this work for quite a while because, and that's one of the reasons that sometimes companies hire me, right? So I work for this consulting company out of Pittsburgh. Occasionally they'll hire me and I'll come in and conduct the interviews. And, you know, while I'm asking interview questions, they're really hiring me to kind of, almost be an emotional detector for what people are really feeling and really saying. So you ask them a question about resilience and when they start to spit it back, how do you feel? Right. And so, you know, that's one way that we use it. The other thing that I always encourage folks and whether you're going to see a coach or a therapist or some other helping professional, but particularly with therapists, you know, and somebody that's helping you to emotionally regulate or become more cognitively agile, increasingly, you know, help you with peace and love and happiness. You want that person to embody precisely and deeply and truly the emotion that you're ultimately after, right? And so I'm always surprised by the folks that I meet and whether the therapist or coach, coaches that aren't, they don't really embody that peace at a true deep level. That doesn't mean we all don't experience, you know, um, ebbs and flows in our emotional life and world. But generally, if you're looking for a therapist, you want to look for someone who's themselves happy, right? Or a coach, you want to, especially if you're going to them for happiness, make sure that they're happy, make sure they're peaceful. And you can feel that more than you can hear that. That's so true. No, that's a good word. I, so when when you're brought in by a group or by somebody else, other than a self, like, hey, Rob, I, my me being Matt, I want to work with you. Other than me self reaching out to you, but somebody who brings you in to work with somebody else does like, I don't know how to ask this other than like, when you walk in the room, do people, are they open to you because you're the happiness guy or are they like, you know, screw this guy. He's happy all the time. I don't have that. I don't want to talk to him. Like, what's the reaction? Yeah. Is it like, is it, is it like overly like, cause Sorry, one quick thing on that. I naturally am like pretty loud energy sped up all the time. And so people, when they're around me, either feel the need to be that way or they're like, that's far too much. I can't handle that. Like totally turn off, right? So same thing with the concept of happiness. Like I'm a happiness coach, so I'm a happy guy. So do people think, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're overly happy. You bring them joy just by your presence or they're just like, nah, this guy's far too happy. Like, yeah, not a great question, man. So I, you know, I've had so many like variable experiences, varying experiences with that. I would say that um, I, I, it's a mix, right? I would say that generally speaking, most people find it infectious. We know that emotional contagion um, is the most, you know, emotion is the most contagious sort of element in the planet, right? Emotion is more contagious than anything. So generally speaking, even if somebody's resistant in the beginning and they think, oh, I don't trust this guy. I don't trust the happiness that he's experiencing or that he's emoting or whatever, um, you know, if you spend enough time in conversation or in the room, it's hard 
to really deny that or resist it, right? Because you have to feel it yourself. It's like being around someone who's very depressed. If you're in the room or in their vicinity long enough, you start to take on that depression or at least elements of that depression a little bit, you know? That's emotional contagion or social contagion. So I'd say that, you know, the experience is very little. I've had, I remember once a, a chemistry test. So a chemistry test, you know, as you know, in the entertainment business is like, if you're wanting to put together a talk show, you get a few possible or potential candidates who might be host for the show and you get them together and you have them have a conversation to see if there's chemistry there, see if they get along, if they play off each other well. And I remember one with a friend of mine, she's a big producer and we got into an entire like, conversation and I would call it a debate, but I didn't have an interest in convincing them so much. And they were wondering and questioning whether or not my happiness was authentic, you know, and they didn't really know the whole backstory. They didn't know I was suicidal. I didn't know I was depressed. They don't know that, you know, the only thing I do all day, every day is help people become happier or more peaceful or more self-loving. Like that's the only thing I genuinely and truly care about. Like it's the one thing I live for, you know, if you're going to live, live blissfully, if you're going to live, live happily. So it became this very interesting conversation. And part of the challenge for me was like, why is it so normal to ask someone who's genuinely and truly happy why they're that way? But we don't do that with healthy people. If somebody's healthy, you never say, why are you so healthy? (laughs) You just know that that's natural. And I would argue that happiness is very much the same way. And we've learned, you know, we've been, I guess, sort of trained out of that happiness. We've been trained away from, you know, seeking happiness within. But yeah, you're right, Matt. I think people struggle with that. It depends on where they are in their lives. Um, You know, they often question someone who seems truly or consistently happy. People always think that I've got something major going on in my life that's wrong or that I'm hiding, you know, that maybe I'm hiding something underneath. But the truth is, man, like I feel really deeply, truly joyful on a consistent basis. And that's mostly because my life is not perfect, but I just keep my mind off of the things that I can't control. And so much of life you can't control. And I find that extraordinarily freeing. It's a relief to not have to. Oh my gosh. It's so true. I like, I have gone through the ringer on like raising funds for startups and, and went through the, the highs and lows, the depression of all of that. And I, one thing, the beautiful thing that it's taught me is just like most of it I can't control, can't get too upset. Like, yeah, I want to celebrate and pop champagne when things happen. But at the same time, like I'm not going to like it's so true. Like just removing yourself from things you can't control is such a healthy, not impossible, you know, not possible to completely do. But certainly you can get some control over that. And uh, it's so freeing. You, you're right. And, 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 and the more things outside yourself that you can't control, the more important to control the one thing you can, which is what you focus on and what you think and how you feel. That's the one thing that's always within your control, within your influence, right? And so not only that though, not only is it like, but also the reason we want to achieve or acquire or accomplish anything in our lives is so that we have that good feeling. I call it happiness. Sometimes I call it peaceful aliveness, call it anything you want, but we really are after a feeling no matter what we're after we're after happiness no matter what we think we're after and if you can have that and you can have that without routing it through so many middle people and middle things and middle objects and middle places you can really get it faster get more of it and get it with less time energy and effort but not just that also science has found that when you're able to experience the happiness without having all the stuff you want or without having the relationship you want right away or without having getting the wind that you want to get in business or whatever, you find that you have access 
to psychological and emotional capital and resources that you didn't otherwise have access to. So you're a more efficient, effective, creative, productive thinker, worker, spouse, parent, everything improves. And so it's not just good to feel good, but it's also good for you, improves your health, but you also do good. You're a better person. You're essentially you're more charitable. You're more generous. You're more giving by just feeling better now, even though life isn't perfect. And so it's really an interesting science. Really, if there's a master key to living an increasingly successful life where you get more of the stuff you want and enjoy more of the experiences that you're truly after, happiness is that master key. Do you ever get this is a this is a weird question. Do you ever get brought in for like what you feel like is a manipulative reason and two two contexts that make me ask this question. You mentioned like a you would do some awesome work with a consulting firm. So like would you ever be brought in from like a management or somebody wants you to do some work with somebody else and it's like we just want that person to be better, that person to be happier, but like more from like a bottom line standpoint or the other one would be the spouse that's not happy, but wants their spouse to go get counseling to fix all their problems when it's really a self issue. Do you ever get like, do you ever feel like you're brought into a circumstance that's maybe more the other person's issue or the other person? Does that make sense? Yes. All the time. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's like, I just, I just, I just think the nagging spouse who's like upset because husband or wife or whoever, you know, whatever it is, is not doing what they want. Therefore they tell them to go get counseling. And it's not always that person who needs the help. Maybe it's them together or maybe it's the other one. I don't know. So I, I love that question because in this is just, again, a testament to your insight, Matt, because I didn't expect that getting to this business. I said, I'm going to be, you know, a positive psychology expert. I'll be a happiness coach, whatever. And I'll have people call me because they want to be happier. But generally, people don't do that. They don't say, I'm unhappy. Can you help? What they often say is, I'm not in a relationship or I'm in a relationship and my boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife sucks or I'm a parent, my kids suck or I'm a kid, my parents suck. You know, it's always about someone else, right? And that's why they're experiencing the unhappiness. And so in the beginning, I would try to convince them right away that they were looking for love or happiness in all the wrong places and they were trying to change all the wrong people. Um, And I relaxed around that a little bit. I said, let me just meet them where they are. And, but I, at the same time, I do tell them, look, I'm going to offer you a very unconventional approach. And I find it extraordinarily successful, but it will certainly, you're going to find it challenging in the beginning. But if you truly follow it and listen, I promise you that you'll get even better results than you think you will. And they're going to show up in a way that's different than you might be expecting. But you just nailed it, Matt. Like both, you know, in my private practice, I work with a lot of executives right? But also entertainers and everyday people like myself and all of those populations for the most part, you know, part of the reason that they're struggling so much is that they're looking for someone else to change or looking only at the world and hoping that the results that they get in the world will somehow fill them up on the inside. And we all know that doesn't work very well and certainly not for very long. Well, yeah, come on, Rob. You know that it's everybody else's problem, not your, not your own. Come on, exactly. <laughs> you man, you. Yes. <laughs> that's so good. Um, so, so obviously, I, I'm I, knowing the, the basis of the work. You're, you're not probably able to share clients that you work with, but who would be like the standard ideal profile of somebody who you may engage with some work with, or that gets you really fired up um, that you, you like working with? Yeah. So um, 
you know, there's nobody I don't love working with. The people that I love working most with are folks that are genuinely interested in being happy. And you'd think that that would be everyone. And I would say that that is everyone. It's just that not everyone is aware that they're really after happiness. And so I'd say that's the first um, piece that I'm always, you know, the other thing is, you know, open-minded, open-hearted, ideally very helpful. Um, but what I often find is that I'm more committed to the process often than, than most people are, you know, and it's one of the reasons I believe that I was able to find my way out of this deep, dark, depressing hole that I had sort of dug for myself is because happiness for me became life or death, you know, it was life or death, literally. Like, And so you get very good at things very quickly when it, you have that much single minded focus on something. Right. Um, but in terms of the practice itself, um, so that's the kind of qualities I kind of most love and welcome and, and also, I think the other one is just someone who has a love of learning, you know, because there's uh, a learning curve here and uh, you don't have to be real smart. You know, I'm not, I wouldn't claim to be real smart, but you do have to have the desire to feel a lot better. And that can lead you to learn more quickly um, than you would be, uh, than you might expect. You know, in terms of the corporate clients, you know, I think, you know, I've worked with, you know, lots of companies, I mean, Facebook, YouTube, Google, Microsoft, uh, Deloitte, you know, I'm lots of corporate clients and lots of, um, you know, in terms of the entertainers, uh, professional athletes, lots of professional athletes, um, mostly to a large extent, because one, they're just like the rest of us and not like a tabloid, but they are. And the other thing is um, so much of what we're wanting to achieve, whether it's in sports or in the boardroom or just in our regular lives is that we want to be in a state of psychological flow. We know that this state of psychological flow where, you know, you're in the zone and you're scoring 60 points like Michael Jordan and you don't know how you're doing it because you're doing it more effortlessly now than ever. We all love that experience of being in the zone. When you're in the zone or flow state, you're 500 to 1,000 percent more efficient, effective, and efficacious at whatever you happen to be doing in that flow state. And so instead of needing, you know, 500 days or a year and a half to accomplish something, you can accomplish that same thing in one day if you could be in flow state all day. Now, it's very difficult to be in flow state all day, but you get the point. So I would say, um, you know, the executives, the entertainers, the everyday people, you know, they all really have the same challenges and trials and tribulations. Um, and they're after the same things. Ultimately, we might look at it through different lenses, but really it's the same conversation I have with everyone. Um, and it's a conversation about how you can get better and bigger and more blissful results with less time and energy and effort. Um, but I would say that in terms of the clients, I most of the people who are clear about how much they really desire to experience an increasingly authentically happy and successful life. I like that a lot. That's, that's, uh, Maybe a conversation offline because I uh, enjoy the work and uh, probably could use a little. (laughs) So, so, so one, you know, on that, um, I, I uh, am involved with kind of advising, helping uh, the startup that had this awesome accelerator lined up, some money that was going to be injected to help get a beta product off the ground, yada, 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 just this really cool circumstance that all of a sudden they're like, yeah, we're actually canceling the whole thing. Sorry, you're not getting any money. We promise, yada, yada, yada. So like circumstantial for sure, definitely out of their control for sure. But like, do you ever just say like, yeah, that just sucks. Like we're going to get through it, but like that's just that, that like there's not a lot of positive in that. There will be, but right now it just sucks. Like how do you mm. like I don't mean to come across and like say, you know, Rob, you got to be negative, but how do you balance just like 
crappy life circumstances that do take a moment of like, man, breathing that sucks. We'll get through it. There will be positives. Like, how, how do you balance those things? Yes. Yeah. What a heck of a question. It's Sorry. A about that. question. It's a great question because because you've highlighted something here that I also want to sort of delineate and and help people discern, and that is, um, you know, so the science of positive psychology, and which is really what I'm trained in. Um, it, it sounds like the science of positive thinking, and it is that to some extent, but it's also so much more, right? It's emotional regulation, it's self-soothing, it's gratitude, it's resilience, it's optimism, it's all this other stuff as well. And so, you know, we often start a conversation around positive thinking. Can we find this silver lining? So much value in that, right? Can we have a conversation that's more appreciative, appreciative inquiry focused, meaning can we focus on people's strengths instead of their weaknesses, right? It's a much more empowering and constructive way to not only have a conversation, but also how to do work. We found that in the research that when you focus on your strengths and focus on exploiting your strengths, instead of focusing on your weaknesses and shoring up weaknesses, you actually are able to achieve extraordinary levels of success and happiness in your life. And that for the most part, the best or greatest companies in the world and the, and the best and greatest performers in the world, they all double down on their strengths. They don't spend their time shoring up weaknesses all the time. And so in any case, it's about that too. That being said, there is a lot to be said for not always trying to tell yourself a better feeling story, but instead acknowledging what you're experiencing and facing it directly and not even trying to find the silver lining, but instead, do you have to think at all? You know, just because something is going well or not going well, do you have to put a story or add this additional level of commentary and story on it at all? Can you just experience what is and stay, you know, present moment minded and focused on the present moment without adding judgment to it, without forecasting or getting to the future, without thinking about the past and getting to regrets. But can you just experience it for what it is in a moment to moment way so that you're not adding insult to injury? You're not putting salt in the wound, right? And so lots of the positive psychology research is about that too. It's about mindfulness, right? Can we approach our lives in ways that are increasingly mindful, which doesn't mean your mind is full of thoughts, but it's mostly empty of thoughts and full of presence, it's full of awareness. And in that awareness is this experience of peaceful aliveness and happiness that's unconditional. It's not circumstantial. And so you can be going through something horrible and on the surface, of course you're frustrated, of course you want it to work out, but if you're clear, you also know that underneath that experience and underneath your thoughts and emotions about that experience, is this deep well or infinite pool of perfect peace, of perfect happiness, and of perfect love. And you can live your life from that place. And so then what happens in the world, you take interest in, and sure, you're going to put effort in, no question about that, you'll put even more effort in, okay, in lots of ways, and you're less distracted as you put that effort in, so your effort is a lot more successful and effective often, right? But you're not thrown off balance or off center. You don't find your peace disturbed or your happiness interrupted by the things that are happening around you, the things that are happening in the circumstances and conditions of your life. And so you're able to live from a deeper place. With the executives, I call it executive presence, right? That's what it's, essentially it is. How can you stay cool, calm, composed in the midst of chaos, in the midst of confusion? With the athletes, maybe we just talk about it as flow state, right? With everyday people, we just call it peace. Can you maintain your peace and tranquility and equanimity even when things go horribly wrong? And that doesn't mean that you don't have your moments where you're extraordinarily emotional or sad or depressed or angry or upset. No question about that. But can you still 
find or live from this deeper place of thoughtless, wordless awareness that is always impenetrable peace, that is always unshakable, that is always unconditional, that's always immovable? And the answer is that you can. Of course you can. Um, but you have to look for it and know it's there before you look for it. And you have to spend some time practicing being and living from that place before, ideally, before things get tough, right? And that's what the practice of mindfulness is about or awareness is about. But yes, Matt, that's, um, that's the idea is sometimes it's great to tell a better feeling story based in truth. And we always want to encourage people to use positive reframing and cognitive reframing. And that being said, there is a place for negative acknowledgement. There's also a place for simply abiding as that thoughtless, wordless awareness that you are and not investing your peace, love, and happiness in the conditions and circumstances of your life. Uh, based on that, um, kind of a, <laughs> uh, how do you turn off, um, and maybe don't, but like, how do you, given that your work is happiness, how do you go from, okay, this is like a friendship, fun conversation to, we need to turn this professional. Yeah. How do you, how do you balance those? Like, uh, what's the word? Not barriers, borders. What's the word I'm looking yeah, for? Yeah. Like um, boundaries, boundaries, yeah. boundaries. Like how, how do you, how do you like somebody who's tapping into you? Cause they are, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess. How, how do you turn that from professional to just personal friendship? Just the good guy you are. Yeah. Um, I don't try. I, I am whatever, honestly, whatever unfolds organically and spontaneously in the moment unfolds. Um, generally with friends, I don't insist that they change. I don't impose my ideas and beliefs on them. Um, if they ask me for advice or guidance, I will provide it. Um, but you know, the only thing freely given and never taken is unsolicited advice. <laughs> so I, you know, I don't, I don't try, you know, I, I don't try to turn, um, I've never tried to turn someone that I know into a client. I never try to turn a client into a friend. Um, I don't, I just let people be who and what they are. And I let the conversation unfold in spontaneous and organic ways. And I would say that while I have infinite weaknesses, you know, the one thing that I feel pretty good about is that, you know, I have some level of emotional intelligence. And so I just let people drive whatever direction they want to drive in. And if I think somebody's going to definitely go for a cliff, I want to make sure that I do what I can to prevent that. Um, but that being said, um, every conversation I have, honestly, um, it's not going to be as deep and as profound as the one you and I are having, but I can't help it. I love talking about happiness and I love talking about the science of positive psychology. And I love talking about, you know, Advaita and non-duality, the spiritual stuff. And I just love talking about all of it. So those folks who are my friends, for the most part, are also interested in that or they tend to find me pretty boring and my clients very much the same way. Um, so I don't really um, try to impose anything on anybody or any relationship. I'm trying to, and I'm not even, I wouldn't even say that I'm all that great with boundaries. Um, although I love and I appreciate um, sort of the term and the words and the work around that, around boundaries. But, you know, um, if something makes me uncomfortable, I try to move away from it. And if it continues to make me uncomfortable, then I take a maybe stronger stance. But I don't, I don't, um, I don't think in, uh, in, in that, that strategically, you know, and, and maybe there's an opportunity for me to think in more strategic ways, uh, but I just haven't. Yeah. The part of the, part of the uh, twofold of that question, number one is just the concept of happiness. And that is like your profession, but also deeper than that, who you are as somebody who drives towards making people happy. And, but to do that professionally, it's, it's a broad topic that, you know, that 
lines probably could get blurred also, but knowing that so much of that is like, uh, like I, I think a counselor, for example, and a, like, I've got buddies. I have a friend who's a professional counselor and like his default is to be a good friend and help you. But then I'm sure there are people who have vented to him or opened up to him, which like, obviously he's equipped to help with, but also like, he's not their professional counselor. And like, how do you balance those Uh, lines? Obviously it's a little different, but somewhat similar, like, I don't know. So that's, that's kind of the basis of the question. I got you. I got you. Totally, totally clarifying. Like, yeah. So, okay. A lot of people, and especially now with everything that's going on in the world, um, I've gotten, I've been more, I've been busier now than I've been in my entire life. Like, Oh, I bet. Yeah, yeah, I bet. I can imagine. Yeah, you know, and um, so and so many of those, really, those text messages, emails, DMs on every single social media platform, you know, it's, it is, it's people reaching out and sometimes they're just straightforward. They say, hey, I'm dealing with this. Can you help me or this or that? And, you know, I um, have found that, first of all, I, I try not to rush. You know, I used to rush a lot and try to, you know, I, I try not to do that because I found that sometimes jumping right in and trying to save someone from something is the worst thing you can do. Okay, uh, that doesn't mean someone's going through something that you know that they're suicidal or something of like that very different. But the first thing is I, I let it breathe a little. Okay, because the most important thing I can offer to anyone is the very thing they're not able to access in the moment, which is usually peace. Okay, and usually happiness. So if I'm not coming from that place, I'm not going to be a very much help. I'm going to say lots of things that might sound right, but I'm not being the right thing, and they're going to feel that more. That's the first thing. The second thing is when I I, I do what I can to help. And I try when I can to offer the coaching. I'll say, listen, um, if you're looking for coaching, are you looking for coaching? Are you looking for a therapist? Is it something else? Seminars, books? How can I help you? What resources can I provide? And that would be most helpful to you because as much as I'd love to have infinite time and energy and bandwidth and as much as I'd love for you to have that too, I want to give you what will help you the most in the fastest possible way. And so Usually people say, oh, I'm into books or this, and I send them a couple links or us, and they say they're into coaching or therapy. We do that. Some folks aren't interested in any of that. Maybe they don't have the ability. So I do will, or will work on a sliding scale um, you know, occasionally. In lieu of all doing all that, often if I find someone is either that I can't help them because I'm not a good fit or because the boundaries are really slippery right, with that particular person, then I'll just refer them out. You know, I've got a few uh, therapist friends and coach friends that I love referring people out to because they're just so stellar and they're so excellent at what they do. So what a great question, Matt. That man, you looked right into my life and that is a consistent and a daily experience. So I found that I've gotten a lot better as I've gotten older, maybe because I've gotten less patient. <laughs> yeah, you 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 kind of I think you kind of learned to cut through the crap you a little do. bit too. <laughs> a new no, thing to do, Matt, and I wonder if you do this. Is sometimes the new thing is for people to always ask you for meetings. Like, do you have time to just catch up? And quite frankly, um, and I love that and I appreciate the connection, but I don't really have time to just catch up on Zoom all day, like or whatever. And so, um, what I do now is I say, "Hey, love connecting with you. What's the agenda? Like, what's the goal for us connecting or for the meeting? You know, because I want to get a sense of. And I find so many times they're just like, "Hey, can you just introduce me to so and so? Or can you just answer this one question?" I'm like, "Oh my gosh, let's save 45 minutes." I can give you the answer in 30 seconds and we're both walk away happier, you know? So, yeah, exactly. hundred percent. And my, my other, um, this sounds probably super selfish, but my other, um, sort of workaround with that is I invite somebody into like a routine that I need to do throughout the course of my day. So I'm not a very good golfer, but I've started to play 
from 6.30 in the morning till 8 and I go walk around just because it's quiet, peaceful and, you know, hack together around a golf. And I do that two or three times a week. And so it's it's my way of saying I was going to do that anyways. It was kind of my morning quiet time. But if somebody wants to join me in that, awesome. Like, great, wonderful. Like, that's a great time to connect. Or like, let's, I'm going to take my dog for the walk. Yeah, I live in Western Michigan. So I'm going to take my dog for a walk. And if you want to walk and talk with me for 30 minutes while I'm walking my dog, wonderful. Like join me in that, like happy to take that time. But like, you're right. When you start getting into like, would love just to like connect or would love just like reconnect. And like, it's my answer to that is easy, either like, yes, I would love to, I'm not too busy not to do that. However, if you have an agenda item, like you alluded to, it'd be nice to know that going into it. Like, I don't know. So it's, it's in balance and I'm not very good at it, but (laughs) I I love you doing that. And you're right. There's, um, and that's a very healthy way to kind of multitask. I wouldn't even call it multitasking, um, because you're doing something you'd be doing anyway. And you're focused on the person. I I love that. I'm going to, uh, do more of that. Sometimes do walking meetings, you know, particularly these days, you can do them all over the phone anyway. Um, but I love that. I think that's brilliant. And, um, you know, you're right. Like, I think I, like, I love, you know, I think the one thing I've learned particularly you know, with people is it's always good to start with personal rapport building. It's always good to end that way. We know that if you want to be perceived as more charismatic or if you want to increase your executive presence, or if you just want to, you know, really build positive relationships with people, you always want to connect and then lead, like connect in a personal way and then get into the depth or the substance of the conversation. You also want to come out of the conversation that way. Um, you know, and that being said, you know, you also want to do what you can to be as brief as possible, which is something I still work on. You know, can you be brief and wrap in your brevity in enough warmth that people know you're being brief but not short? You know, um, if you can do that one thing, it's amazing how much more excited and how much more time people will make for you because they know that you're not going to be long-winded and you're not going to take up their time or, or, or um, you know, you're not going to, they're not going to take up yours, right? So just love that. Yeah, it's it's the perfect balance of not being too busy, but also like getting to the point. And I'm not very good at that. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you're afraid of offending someone, you know, you don't want to offend someone. So there's an entire body of research actually around positive communication and positive intelligence. So essentially how you can do that, how you can be brief, but still warm because it's important. In fact, the briefer you are, the more warm you need to be so that people don't think that you're just a, bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just a pompous prick. And I'm working on, like, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever come across as that. I'm sure. Well, I'm, let me take that. I'm sure there's been moments, but I wouldn't identify myself as that, but I often come across as too busy and unfocused on the person. And I'm trying to improve that of like, how can we have a high intense 20 minute as deep as you're willing to go? Cause I'm happy to go there, but like, let's get to the point in 20 minutes sort of thing. And I don't know, it's, it's, it's an ongoing balance and it will be for a lifetime. So. Love, love that. And you're right, Matt. Like the one thing I love most about you, brother, like, I mean, there's so many things I love about you, but gosh, every time I've connected with you, I mean, it's epic, man. Like you have a genuinely warm and connective approach to every car. That's, that's authentic, you know? And I, I love that about you. And like you, I'm always working on um, sort of the, you know, brevity piece. There's something we call segment intending, which is just being clear, like taking a moment. And I know that you do this and I'm always working on doing this, taking a few moments before you enter into a conversation to really clarify for yourself what you're ultimately wanting to get out of the conversation or give to the conversation, you know, being real crystal clear about that. And sometimes it's even good to share that with the other person and get on the same page before you have the 
real conversation. Um, so I just love that, Matt. And I think we're all working on that. But you come, I mean, I got to say, brother, you really do deserve um, commended because every time I've connected, I feel seen and heard and, uh, and appreciated. Well, th- thank you for that. And that's, that's kind, but also you weren't, uh, <laughs> paying a lot of attention to, and just asking good questions. Cause what you bring to the table is remarkable and it's just fun to fun to learn from you and it's fun to follow along too. So not, it, it goes both ways. And that kind of leads me to, I think one of my, you know, ultimately what my favorite question on the planet is, but you know, for what, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? And the, the, you know, the driving force behind the question is ultimately what is what drives you to do what you do, to deal with the crap, to deal with people, to deal with the frustrating pieces of life, but continues to drive you forward. What is it ultimately that gets you out of bed in the morning? I, just helping people, man. You know, I love helping people, particularly with the happiness thing. Um, I would say, you know, and, and then, so that's my, that's the, easy, that's the answer that people can receive. Cause I've, I've tried a lot of other things, you know, I was making good money at the consulting firm and I was on a great path and I, done other things in my life, modeling stuff, the acting stuff. And it was all great. And I loved it. It was so much fun, but not like now there's a, there's a, there's a depth to what I do that just appeals to me and motivates me and inspires me in a way that nothing else really ever has. Now at a deeper level, the truth is I have this practice I call just practicing the presence, but the idea is really that I drop all of my ideas and I drop into a space of not thinking a whole lot if at all, and just feeling into that peaceful liveness in my body. Oddly enough, and it sounds like it's nothing. It sounds like so paltry, this little practice. But I have to say, that one practice provides me more energy than practically anything else I do. So I'm motivated by a lot of people and I'm inspired by a lot of people, yourself obviously included. Um, And this experience of just practicing the presence, not being lost in my thoughts and just turning that into something that I do consistently enough that it becomes an automatic habit that I don't have to always be so intentional about. Like that itself, honestly, has sort of energized my life in a way that I wouldn't have expected it could have or that it should have. And so, um, yeah, it's both. So it's helping people um, really, particularly helping people become happier and also more successful with less time, energy, and effort. But at a deeper level, it's also staying out of my head, man. Like just if you just stay out of your head, Life is extraordinary already. Like it's extraordinary if you don't overthink it, but we all tend to overthink it. And so that's the practice. I love that, man. I love that. So Rob, where can, uh, where can people reach out to you? I know you got a book out there and we'll include that. Tell, uh, 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 give a short little snippet about the book and then also where people can find you on social, uh, who want to reach out to you. Yeah. So happiness from the inside out, the art and science of fulfillment. You can find everywhere. Great books are sold, including Amazon and Barnes and Noble, both in the store and online. That book provides really, you know, uh, pithy, punchy principles for living your best life from the inside out, both happiness and success, but also about relationships. You can find my website at coachrobmack.com. You can find me on all social media platforms at Rob Mack, M-A-C-K, official. Love that. Well, Rob, is there anything else you want to leave the audience with? Just appreciate you so much, Matt. I really mean that. Appreciate all you folks for listening. If there's anything I can do to help you in your lives, please reach out. Like I genuinely do this, uh, not for the money. You know, I, I do this genuinely because it's my purpose. It's the one thing I feel like I've been put on this planet to do. And so if I can be of help to you at all, please reach out and know that I'd be excited to hear from you. Love that. Rob, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Dude, you are the bomb. I appreciate you.